Well, good morning, church. It is good to be gathered together again, and good morning to those online joining us here today. Hey, uh, I just want to take a brief moment here at the beginning of our time and just express gratitude. Uh, It has been such a joy and a delight to seek and serve the Lord with this church family over this time, and uh, just what a blessing it has been uh, to be with you, to be encouraged by you, and to have the opportunity Uh, to be able to serve God's word up here over these last several weeks. It has been pure joy and uh, know that the opportunity to study God's word and to proclaim God's word is a blessing afforded to us first by the Lord, uh, but also by our church family. So just as the series comes to a close here over this week and next, uh, very, very grateful for this church family and for the opportunity uh, to look at God's word together throughout this series. Well, let's begin our time here uh, this morning with a couple of questions. Uh, Have you ever wondered if the Bible is able to help you with your deepest problems? Have you struggled to know what to do with your life and wish that you had some sort of special word from the Lord? Have you ever thought to yourself that maybe the biblical teaching on sexuality just needs to be updated? or maybe wished for a more direct, a more personal revelation from God than what you get by slowly reading the Bible day in and day out? Have you ever secretly wanted to add something to God's word, you know, just to make it safer? Or have you ever secretly wanted to take something away, maybe to make it a bit more palatable? Have you ever felt like, Maybe the Bible just isn't enough for living during these crazy times in this crazy world. If you can answer yes to any of these questions, or if you've asked these questions at other points in your life, it's because you are wrestling with the sufficiency of Scripture. When I hear the word sufficient, I always go back to uh, my first year of marriage. Katie and I, newlyweds, and like any newlywed couple desiring a successful marriage, we took off to Guatemala, left the country into a new language, a new culture, and uh, being there, the people were so generous and so hospitable. Uh, And we were also so American. So when we sat down at their table for dinner, uh, it was always like, would you like more? Can we give you more? Here, here's some more. Put it on your plate. We had to quickly learn the word uh, suficiente. That is enough. That is, please do not put anything else on my plate so I don't feel obligated to eat it. I have everything I need. I don't need anything else. Suficiente. Uh, That's what we're talking about when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. God's Word is enough. Let me put out a definition, uh, offer brief explanation, and then demonstrate this truth in God's Word. So definition first. What do we mean when we say the Bible is sufficient? We mean this. Uh, The Bible is sufficient to make you wise for salvation and to equip you for every good work. The Bible is sufficient to make you wise for salvation and to equip you for every good work. All things necessary for salvation 
and for living the Christian life in obedience to God and for his glory are given to us in the scriptures. The Westminster Confession of Faith written in 1647 explains the sufficiency of scripture like this. It is the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelations of the spirit or by traditions of men. Uh, please grab your Bible and open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter three, we're gonna spend our time here in this passage. I'm actually gonna read uh, chapter three, verse one through chapter four, verse five. And uh, as I do it, I'm gonna intentionally kind of read the beginning portion a bit slower. And I wanna invite you as you're hearing the beginning portion of this text to take a moment for introspection, uh, to not be thinking about the person next to you or the person at work or uh, the person you ran into this last week but to be thinking about your own heart as you hear these words. So 2 Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse one. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And here's the text that we're really gonna key in on this morning, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture 
is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man, that the woman, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I wanna put a few comments out on the table as we begin to unpack this passage to help us understand what's going on in the background. So comment number one, uh, this is Paul writing and he's writing at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, and these are his final words that he's giving to Timothy, his true child in the faith. They carry the weight and significance of final words from a more mature believer to another believer who's going to continue to advance the gospel as Paul is ushered into eternity. But they also carry the weight and the significance of divinely inspired words that mean something for you and me today. Number two, uh, notice that in chapter three, verse one, he says, in the last days. Uh, when the Bible speaks of the last days, it's referring to that time between Jesus' first and second coming because there's no other major act that needs to take place in redemptive history before Christ Jesus returns and gets done with this present age and moves us into eternity. So if you've ever asked or if someone ever asks you, hey, do you think we're in the last days? Biblically speaking, you can say, yes, I'm confident that we are because that's how the Bible talks about the last days. Number three, this period will be marked by difficulty. Why will this time period be marked by such difficulty? Well, because Paul tells us it's full of sinful people. It's full of people who are looking out for themselves and not looking out for others, full of people who are focused on their own comfort, their own pleasure, rather than seeking the glory of God. A lot is said about the condition of these people during these last days. Simply consider with me for a moment the affections, that is, what these people love. I think it's interesting how Paul puts out all kinds of things that these people love to help us have an understanding of what kinds of people these are. Uh, verse two, it says that they love themselves. That's not going anywhere good fast. Uh, they're also lovers of money. Jesus says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Verse three, what they don't love is good. They are not lovers of good. Verse four, they love pleasure more than they love God. 
They have disordered souls. They have disordered love. And so their lives and this world is full of disorder. It's a me first kind of world. It's a climb on whoever's back and head you have to in order to get to the top first kind of time that Paul describes that we are living in, that Timothy was living in. So you get to verse 12 in chapter three and Paul tells Timothy, hey, look, if you desire to live a godly life in the midst of these kinds of times, there's no doubt you're going to be persecuted. Why? Because you're living counterculturally. You're living in a way that's completely different than the people that are around you who are not redeemed in Christ and they won't look at your godliness and applaud you for it. They won't look at your godliness and be excited about it. No, they'll look at your godliness and they will hate you for it. That's what Paul tells Timothy. You'll be pursuing something radically different than the rest of the world. This is the backdrop into which Paul is writing 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 4, 4. It's near the end of his life. It's in these last days described as we've just seen, a time that is marked by difficulty. And so as Paul is getting ready to enter into eternity, what kind of word does he have for this brother? What kind of word of encouragement does he have to give to Timothy as he is preparing to depart? Please look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. In one word, this is what Paul is telling Timothy, continue. That is, be faithful. Don't quit and don't adjust the strategy. Don't look for something else out there. Don't look for something more. Don't look for something different. Continue in all that you have learned and continue in all that you have firmly believed. Now, what is it exactly that Timothy has learned and has firmly believed in? What ought he to continue in? Verse 15, Paul tells us, he says, uh, it is the sacred writings, that is the scriptures. Continue in the scriptures to learn from them and to believe what you learn from God's word. Don't look for something outside of scripture. Don't look for something else to be discovered. Don't search for another way. The scriptures are not incomplete, nor are they inadequate. They are sufficient for all you need, Timothy. But are the scriptures sufficient for everything? When we talk about the sufficiency of scripture, we have to ask the question, well, what, sufficient for what? Uh, the Bible does not claim to be sufficient for all things. Look at verses 15 through 17. It says, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, that is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So I don't come to scripture to learn that two plus two equals four. 
If I'm trying to build a car, I don't come to scripture and turn to the book of Hebrews and find out how to assemble a vehicle. If I wanna stitch up a laceration, I don't look somewhere in the Old Testament for instruction. God's word is not claiming to be sufficient for everything. So what is God's word sufficient for? We're gonna spend the rest of our time looking at two areas that God's word declares its sufficiency for. Number one, God's word is sufficient to lead you and me to salvation. God's word is sufficient. It is enough to lead you and me to salvation. In verse 15, it says, these sacred scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. Uh, In scripture, we have the only inspired words of God to help us know the way of salvation. It's just as Paul said in Romans chapter 10, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he asks a a bunch of questions, but how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him unless they've heard of him? And how are they to hear of him unless someone teaches them? He gets to verse 17 in Romans chapter 10 and he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That is, if people are going to come to salvation, if they're going to place their faith in Christ Jesus, it's going to be by a proclamation of the truth that this word declares. The scriptures save us by pointing us to Christ, whom we may put our faith in to receive salvation. And here's the beautiful and miraculous part of this reality. The scriptures are not just sufficient in our conversion, they're also sufficient for our preservation. That is, to enable us to persevere in the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16, it says here on the screen, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a fascinating passage. It's Paul telling Timothy, hey, keep a close watch because if you keep a close watch on your teaching, it will save you and it will save your hearers. In verse 12, just above this, we find out who the hearers are. It's the saints. It's God's people, the people that are already in Christ and in the church. So what Paul is telling Timothy is, hey, when you proclaim the word of God and when God's people come and they gather themselves underneath the proclamation of truth, it's not just helping them grow and mature in the faith. God is using it. It is instrumental to keep you in the faith. So when we come here and we gather underneath the word of God, this isn't just about maybe I'll grow more or less in Christ. No, this is about our very salvation that God is using this to keep us, to persevere us in the faith. Jesus, Matthew chapter four, said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We feed our physical bodies with physical food. We feed our souls on the word of God that points us to the bread of life. And just as our bodies will shrivel up and die when we do not give them food, so our souls will shrivel up and die if we do not nourish our soul on the word 
of God. Matt Smethurst, he's an editor for the Gospel Coalition. He's also an elder at his church in Louisville. He said this, I don't remember 99% of the meals I've eaten, but they've kept me alive. God uses faithful, forgettable sermons to beautify his bride. And all teachers of God's word breathe a deep sigh of relief. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, this is the reality. God uses faithful, forgettable sermons in order to feed our souls. He uses faithful and forgettable time in the morning in his word where when you get to the evening, you're like, I don't even know what I read this morning. He uses that to feed our souls, to continue to give us life in his word. The question is, do we really believe that God's word is able to bring us to faith and is able to sustain us in the faith? Do we believe that these words are used by the Holy Spirit to do the miraculous and glorious work in our souls? Because if we do, then it leads to a high view of God's word and it leads onto a high view of biblical preaching. None of you woke up this morning saying, I can't wait to go to worship and hear Cody's 10 great ideas on blank. That's not what people need. People need to hear, thus says the Lord, and they hear that when we open this book and we declare what God has already said. People will not get the spiritual food that their souls need unless they open the word of God. And that is why we are committed to opening this book and to heralding the truth in this book. The Spirit of God, he uses the word of God to bring us to faith and to sustain us in our faith. God's word is first sufficient to make us wise for salvation. Number two, and we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking this concept, God's word equips me for every good work. God's word is sufficient not just to bring me to salvation, but also to equip me for every good work. John Stott, a theologian of the past, said, scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring the person of God to maturity. Please look at verses 16 and 17 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, useful, effective for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul begins here in verse 16 by telling us that God's word teaches us. We are equipped for every good work as we are taught by God's word. Uh, It tells me who God is and what he demands. It tells me who I am, where I came from, and where this whole world is going. The Bible tells us about love. It tells us about marriage. It tells us about life before life and life after death. Most of all, The Bible tells us about sin and forgiveness. It tells us about Christ and the cross, about how we were lost and how we can be found. And because scripture says what God says, we can completely trust everything that scripture says about all of these grand realities. 
Jen Wilkin has said that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Knowledge is a beautiful thing. And we should be a people who pursue the knowledge of God by listening to him tell us who he is, who we are, and what life is all about. We hear God's voice and we know God's heart when we open this book and when we read. This is not just a knowledge for knowledge's sake, but this is a knowledge that drives relationship. As I know him more, I trust him more. As I know him more, I love him more. And as I, trust, as I know him more, I enjoy him more. God's word equips me for every good work and it does so first by teaching me. Second, God's word convicts me. It equips me for every good work by convicting me. It's that second word you see there in verse 16. It's profitable for reproof, uh, not a word that we use a whole lot today. It means conviction, that is showing us our ungodly behavior. We read the Holy Spirit convicts. We're convicted of sin and then he draws us to repentance. This is a truth that's proclaimed in Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 and 13. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And when I read this passage, I say in my heart and I say out loud, praise God for the gospel. Because if not for the good news, this is really bad news. That we are naked and exposed before the one that we must give an account to. It reminds me of another time when God's people were naked and exposed before him. And it's in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve rebel against the Lord. And when the Lord sees them in their nakedness, what does he do? He does not condemn. Instead, he sacrifices something in their place and he covers over their nakedness. This is exactly what God does for you and me in the gospel. He sees our sin. He sees all of it as we are naked and exposed before him. And then he, with the blood of Christ, covers over our shame, over our nakedness with the blood of the lamb so that we can enter into relationship with him. Our conviction does not have to leave us wallowing in our sin. No, as God's children, our conviction ought to lead us to Christ ought to lead us to the sacrificial lamb who took all of our sin to give us all of his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we have a savior who loves to forgive. We have a savior who is never annoyed, who is never surprised, one who is always glorified in demonstrating mercy. That is good, good news. God's word teaches me. God's word convicts me. God's word also corrects me. As God's word is sufficient for training me and equipping me for every good work, it also corrects me. See, sometimes you and I, we're not walking in presumptuous or premeditated sin. 
And yet we can still be erring from the way of righteousness. Reading scripture, learning scripture, believing scripture, it corrects us when we may be veering off course. I have family in Florida. We fly down there often. And if I get on a plane from Indy and fly to Florida, and if we're off by one or two clicks from the course that we're supposed to be on, we might end up in the Gulf of Mexico or even in Mexico. Being just a little off over a significant period of time can lead to devastating consequences. This is true in our walks with the Lord. One degree off, can lead to disaster over a lifetime. God, our Father, he loves us and he provides us with his word to keep us on the right path. He gave us the Bible because he loves us enough to tell us what he thinks and how we ought to live. You see, his commandments, they're not burdensome. They're issued from a heart of a father who loves his children and wants life to go well for his children. Uh, We ask our children all the time and they're supposed to respond. We say, hey, why do we have rules? And they're supposed to say, well, because they keep us safe and they show us how life works best. This is the, the, the commands from a father, from imperfect parents to their children. And when we look at our heavenly father who's perfect in his parenting, that's why he issues his commands. When we talk about discipline with our kids, we oftentimes talk about them staying on the right path. And we say, son, daughter, we want things to go well for you, but when you made that decision, you kind of did this. And we're concerned because God's word says that life won't go well for you when you start going in that direction. So our job is to come alongside and to correct, either through instruction or through discipline to put you back on the right path. This is what our heavenly father does for us in his word. Like a shepherd's staff, either nudging us gently over or grabbing us and hooking us back onto the right path, it corrects us and keeps us walking in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and is good for our souls. God's word, it equips us for every good work by teaching us, by convicting us, by correcting us, and finally, by training us in righteousness. When I think about the concept of training, I go back to high school soccer season, two a days in the Florida summer. Uh, We get up in the morning at 6 a.m., we run our two miles. Uh, We're back in the afternoon at four o'clock in the heat of the day for another round of training, getting ready for the season. Uh, No one succeeds at the highest level in athletics without working out. No musician makes it very far in music without lots of practice. No one excels at scholarship without years of study. And no one makes it very far in the school of holiness without hours and days and years in the word. You and I simply will not mature as quickly serve as effectively or live as gloriously without immersing ourselves in the scriptures. This is where we come, brothers and sisters. God's word is sufficient to lead us to salvation, to keep us in the faith, and then to equip us for every good work to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. 
And so in light of this reality, look at how Paul just seamlessly carries into the next chapter. If you can just for a moment ignore the chapter breaks, ignore the headings, because it makes perfect sense then that Paul would say this to Timothy. In light of God's word and its sufficiency for these realities, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Paul is saying this, hey, look, in the last days, that is today, these days that we find ourselves in, there is going to be a battle over the sufficiency of scripture. People won't want to hear what God has to say. They'll want to hear whatever accords with their own passions and with their own desires. They won't believe the truth that God's word is enough to bring us to that which is truly satisfying. They won't believe that God's word is enough for everything that we need in this life. They might be more interested in a grade school kid's depiction of heaven than they are in the New Testament descriptions of heaven. They may believe that if they had something more from God, then they would really be close to Jesus. Paul's encouragement, it's the word. It's the word of God that we have. Keep preaching it, keep clinging to it, keep talking about it with others. That's what people need, don't stop. We don't need to be about making fans with our lives. We need to be about making disciples in our lives. And that means we don't tell people what they want to hear. We tell people what they need to hear. There is only one voice. There is only one source of truth. There is only one way that we can feed our souls and be equipped for every good work. And that is the voice of God that we have here in the pages of this book. God's word speaking to us today by the power of the spirit. I found in Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word, he has these thoughts. He says, scripture does not give exhaustive information on every subject, but in every subject on which it speaks, it only says what is true. And in its truth, we have enough knowledge to turn from sin, to find a savior, to make good decisions, to please God, and to get to the root of our deepest problems. Scripture doesn't tell us everything that we may want to know about everything, but it tells us everything we need to know about the most important things. Scripture gives us something that the internet with all of its terabytes of wisdom could never give to you and me. It gives us the very wisdom of God. And the purpose of scripture is not to make us smart or to make us relevant or to make us rich or to help us get a job or to tell us where to live. The aim of God's word is that we might be made wise unto salvation, put our faith in Christ, be saved from sin and live a life that's glorifying to God. I wanna conclude with these thoughts that I read earlier this week said one of the most dangerous things a Christian can do right now is neglect Bible reading. Thousands of voices are attempting to convince you how to think. 
be certain you are being shaped. More scripture, less social media. More Bible, less books. More prayer, less blog posts. God's word is enough to make us wise for salvation and to equip us for every good work. His word is sufficiente. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these glorious truths that you have spoken to us, that you have given us in your word. God, we're thankful that not only is your word sufficient, but you've also declared its sufficiency so that we don't have to wonder so that we don't have to be confused, so that we don't have to be tossed about by every person or idea that says there's more or think this way, not that way. No, 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 Lord, you have given us all that we need for life and godliness and it is here in your great and precious promises. So Father, I pray that we would be a people who are shaped by your word, a people who love your word, a people who recognize how desperate we are to hear from your word. God, it's enough. We thank you that it's enough. We thank you that you draw us to yourself with these words, that you keep us to yourself with these words, and that you help us to glorify you and enjoy you and live a life that is full of joy through these words. God, we are a needy, needy people. And our souls can only find their nourishment here. And so I pray, oh God, that we would be a people marked by time and faithfulness in your word, drawing ever nearer to you as we hear your voice. It's in Christ's name, amen.